Would you turn with me to the letter of James? The letter of James, which is towards the end of the Bible. If you do not have a Bible, we're really glad that we could give you a Bible. There's black Bibles in front of you, and if you don't have a Bible or you don't have this version of the Bible and you'd think it would be helpful to you, you could keep the Bible, put your name in it, and use it. And you can find where I'm going to be this morning and either page 950 or 1011. I say that because there's two different Bibles. The thin one is a 950. There's a thicker one that's 1011. So James chapter 1, towards the end of the Bible. It's a small little letter, five chapters. We're in our third sermon on this letter written by James, the brother of Jesus. The literal brother, half-brother of Jesus. Do you realize that God is in the process of discipling you through hard times? God loves you so much that he intends to disciple you, to discipline you, to train you up. Sometimes he's spanking and sometimes he's just coming alongside and giving you timeouts that are really needed, but he is loving you and he is caring for you if you are his child. I feel like in my life, God has taught me some things. I know that I have a long way to grow. There's been many times when I have faced hardships and I handled it wrongly. I grumbled and I complained or I panicked and I got anxious or angry or hurt. And there are other times where God and his help gave me truth and wisdom. I remember many years ago going through a really tr- tough time, about eight years ago, seven or eight years ago, and God handed a book into my life through a friend called The Red Sea Rules by Robert Morgan. I highly recommend it. I was looking in my library. I wanted to give my copy out, but I think it's gone. I probably gave it out. Red Sea Rules, it's worth you getting because either you're going to be in trials or you're going to be with somebody that's going to have trials and you're going to need to help them out. And I remember how God used that in my life. And then in a a season about a year later, I went through an even more difficult season. And I remember at that time going, God, I need your wisdom. I need your wisdom. I'm going to just be a basket case if I don't have your wisdom and help. And I remember sitting down one day during this, what I knew was going to be a long trial. And I wrote down things that I had to say, And I call them resolutions. Daniel, you're going to remember these things. And when you decide, when you feel like not doing them, you're going to go back to these and you're going to remind yourself daily of these truths because these are really important wisdom in the midst of hard times. And God, I look back and I go, oh, God, you are so helpful. Where'd that come from? Well, from experience back a year ago and a year before that, God, you were growing me. I wrote things like, this is not the main point of the sermon, so you don't have to write these down. If you want them, I'll give them to you. But things like, God, I will pursue my joy in you no matter what happens in this trial. I will seek to pray without ceasing, and I will wrestle with you and rest in you in prayer. God, I'll fix my mind that you're the owner of my life and everything that I'm stressed out about. You still own it. God, I'm going to play, pay more close attention to my children and my wife, even though I might be distracted by these trials. God, 
I'm going to meditate on your word day and night. God, when I don't know what to do next in this trial, I'm going to take the next logical step by faith that you present to me. God, I'm going to trust you for what's good in this, the outcome that I'm stressed out about. God, I'm going to keep my tongue from evil and quit complaining or grumbling or criticizing or blaming or lying. God, I'm going to fight hard to trust you and not fear people what they think, but what you think. God, I'm going to be thankful in all circumstances, even if it gets really hard. God, I'm not going to panic, but instead I'm going to get on my knees when I feel real panic or anxiety, and I'm going to give it to you once again. God, I'm going to look at these hardships as a time to actually show, to bless and serve others. When that's the last thing I want to do because I want to go into protection, survival mode, I'm going to serve others. And I'm going to confess my sins when you bring them to my attention and I'm not going to make excuses. And I'm going to submit and honor the authority that are in my life, my church, those that are over me. God, use those, that wisdom in my life. I know I have a lot to grow in. This passage that we're going to look at this morning, and it's verses 5 through 8 of chapter 1 of James, is a passage that James continues with a theme of testing. The testing of our faith, our suffering, our trials. You see, friends, James wants us to know that ultimately suffering isn't bad because God is good and he's using suffering for our good. Or as Elizabeth Elliot wrote, suffering is never for nothing. And these verses that we're going to look at this morning is a continuation of this passage where he says, count it all joy when you go through sufferings because God's using sufferings to mature you. So count it all joy. Now, he goes right into these next verses, this next paragraph, and he says, now, I want to help equip you in your suffering. I just gave you a list of 14 resolutions that God used over time to help equip me in my suffering is it was truth about God and what he wants from me and how to anchor to God. But James says, I want to prepare you by helping you and equipping you, you who are tested and tried. All you who are tested and tried, and that's going to be you. Yes, you. Are you watching? God is testing and trying you in order to grow you and make you more mature and in the end, you'll say, God, it was so worth it. Thank you. I love you. But he equips us. And these verses, verses 5 through 8, are about God equipping us for the testing and the trying. So would you follow with me? Let's skip down to verse 2, where we were last week. And I want you to see the flow of argument as we move to verse 8. This is what James tells us. And we believe it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is for count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's patience, endurance. And let endurance or steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect. That word is mature and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks, 
So you don't want to be lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, and by the way, we'll all go, I do at times. Let him ask God, that's pray. Now note what he does now. He describes the character of God, the God that we pray to. Who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But here are some qualifiers as you pray. God's not a genie or a divine vending machine just to grant you your wishes as you pray. But let him ask in faith, that is, trusting in God. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So what James is saying here, count the testing of your faith that comes in the form of trials a reason to consider yourself blessed. So rejoice. Rejoice in your sufferings because God is at work in producing steadfastness and steadfastness leads to maturity that in the end you'll rejoice and be so glad God helped you. But oh, do we need God's help, friends. Suffering is hard. Faith is easy until you need it. Faith is easy until... That's all you have. It's far easier to talk about these things than to put them into practice. It is hard when the agonizing affliction comes and it's hard to see God's hand in it. It is far easier to panic and run from God, to complain about God, to grumble to God, and to be driven into a season of self-pity Anger, anxiety, or whatever else we might respond rather than running steadfast under trial. Instead, we give up. And James says, oh, I want you to grow. I want you to mature. Don't count it all joy. And so in verses 5 through 8, he equips us. He says, he says, I want you to be equipped. And by doing that, so I want to give to you four Things for promise-laden instructions when facing trials. For promise-laden instructions. I say they're, they're instructions to us when we're going through trials and anything that we're going through. It could be the smallest things. It could be relationship catastrophe. It could be pain and anxiety or difficulties. And they're promise-laden because... Underneath them are the promises and the goodness and the grace of God. Here they are. One, seek wisdom from God. Two, pray earnestly to God. Three, trust truly in the character of God. And four, surrender to the will of God. They're all, they should be all in the back of your, on the back of your notes or the bulletin that you got when you came in. Here they are, four. Number one, seek wisdom from God. Do you see that? Look at verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, James would want us to hear this. Faith, church, desire wisdom when you go through trials. 
If you haven't thought about that, start thinking about that now. If you, you probably can quickly realize that when you go through trials, you need wisdom for multiple reasons. You need wisdom to make sense of the trials that are right now throwing you against the wall and beating you up. Oh God, please help me to see because I'm just devastated right now. This makes no sense to me. God, please give me insight. Or you need wisdom to see the destructiveness of responding wrongfully and avoiding God. Oh God, help me not to be so foolish to run away from you and not seek you in this time. That would be so foolish because you're my only help. God, please give me wisdom. And we need wisdom to decide sometimes what path. Have you gone through a trial and you're on your knees and saying, I don't know what to do. I have to face choices. And these two choices are overwhelming. Is it A or B? They look the same to me. And it seems like one, if I take the wrong one, is it going to fall apart? God, help me. Give me wisdom. And we need wisdom in the midst of trials to face difficult people. You have difficult people in your life. That's part of your trial. Or you have difficult circumstances. God, I just, I need you. I need you to give me answers and wisdom to handle this. James is meant, is meaning to, this is a passage where James is not just moving on to another topic and saying, hey, all of you living in your life, you want to have a successful life? You need wisdom. That's true. We need wisdom. But James is saying, connecting these two, and we know this because he says, I want you to be mature, lacking in nothing, the end of verse 4. But if you lack wisdom, same word, he's saying, and by the way, you're going to lack wisdom in the midst of trials. Desire wisdom. James is concerned that we are. Wisdom is not just good advice or just being really smart. Wisdom is about a right relationship with the one who knows ourselves and knows the world and knows how things work and what is right. It's having a relationship with the one who is in control. Wisdom is about applying whatever situation we have to this book that God has revealed, the wisdom and the truth that's in this book. It is growing to personally know the God of this book with an countless scenarios in our lives that we'll face that the Bible doesn't directly address. It doesn't say when, the midst, when you're in the midst of this relational pain, you need to follow rule seven of Deuteronomy six. No, it teaches us general principles to apply all these things. Oh God, give me wisdom. Wisdom is about a relationship with God we find in Proverbs 9 Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. James is saying, if anyone lacks wisdom, at the point he's bringing this up, he's going to say, you're going to want wisdom. You're going to need wisdom. Don't you realize that? Desire wisdom. The Bible speaks of the blessedness of wisdom. He gave us an entire book called Proverbs that is wisdom after wisdom, but it is anchored in the fear of the Lord. He says this, my son, eat honey, he says, for it is good and the drippings of a honeycomb are sweet to the taste. And know this, that wisdom is such 
to your soul. It is sweet. See, wisdom includes a growing self-awareness. Frankly, we are so often not aware of our own sin, our own complaint, or tone deaf. Oh God, would you just help me to get perspective, God, right now? We can whine and complain and think everything's out of control. God, give us perspective, wisdom. Wisdom includes a right self-awareness and an evaluation of the circumstances and difficult people that are in your life right now. An awareness and a proper evaluation. Wisdom reasons with truth and God's promises. And it changes our perspective. I know that there are, you, you, there are many of you this morning, either watching or sitting in this room, that are facing various trials. And oh, how you need the wisdom of God to come to you and brace you up and cause you to have life in God's wisdom. And it's going to come in the form of a relationship with Him. It comes with knowing this truth and knowing it to your heart and that He loves you and is near to you. As I was pondering this passage, it hit me that the Scriptures are filled with sufferers who went through suffering and in either in the midst of their suffering or at the end of their suffering, teach us the wisdom of God. And, and we should go to them and go, God, thank you. That's your wisdom that you want to give me in suffering. You remember Abraham in God, even though God had said, I'm going to give you a son, Isaac, and I'm going to make a great nation and the whole world will be blessed through your son, Isaac. And so God gives him Isaac through a lot of miracles At old age, his wife bears his son Isaac. God says, it's going to be through Isaac. No one else, through Isaac. And now God tells Abraham, now I want you to go to Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice your son on an altar and kill him. Really? God's testing him. And he goes on the mountain and he's about to kill him. And God stops him. Now, what was going on through Abraham's mind, I know what was going on through Abraham's mind in one sense, because the Hebrews author tells us. Hebrews 11 says that Abraham had faith in God. And it says this, that even though he knew that God was going to bless him through Isaac, it says here, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Wisdom is trusting in God's promise even though it doesn't make sense. Wisdom, Abraham did some spiritual reasoning. That's wisdom. And he said, well, God, you promised this, but you told me to obey you, so I'm going to obey you. And even though it doesn't make sense, I'm going to trust you to work it out. And I love you, God. What in your life are you going to face situations where God says, Obey you, it might cost you your job. Obey me, but it might cost you your job because they're telling you to do something wrong. And you need to obey me. Obey me and lose your job. God can give you a better job. Obey me and be hurt financially, but tell the truth. Obey me and follow me, but walk in my path. That's wisdom. Or Joseph. We know the story of Joseph, sold into slavery by jealous, evil brothers. 
lied about by Potiphar's wife, thrown into the dungeon, left there for years, and then brought out, made a ruler in the kingdom because God kept blessing him and helping him even though he went through trial after trial. He trusted and had faith in God. And his brothers are scared at the end of his life because their dad dies and now they're thinking, well, now Joseph is going to get revenge. And Joseph had learned the wisdom of suffering and he says, no, I've learned the way of God. You see, you meant it for evil, brothers, but God meant it for good. Or the Apostle Paul, who tells about us in 2 Corinthians 1, that as he goes through suffering after suffering, he says, I went through a season of my life, you can read about it in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. I felt a sentence of death. I despaired of life itself. But he comes out of it and says, but this was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's wisdom, friends. That's wisdom that came in suffering, because of suffering, through suffering. Wisdom that knows that God is present and God is working all things. We saw this last week. God is in control and he has purposes that are bigger than we can imagine. And his way is through suffering and he'll make it worth it through the end. Oh, friends, are you going through suffering? Are you tested and tried? Seek wisdom from God. Seek the kind of wisdom that, that only comes from his grace. The wisdom that Elizabeth Elliot, do you know who Elizabeth Elliot was? She was um, she's the, the wife of Jim Elliot who died as a martyr, as a missionary martyr in the 1950s, leaving her alone with a one-year-old child. What was God doing? A few years later, she got remarried, and that husband died a few years later of, I think, cancer. She had gone through a lot of trials, and she writes a book called Suffering is Never for Nothing, and she says, there has been some hard things in my life, of course, and I cannot say to you, I know exactly what you're going through, but I can say that I know the one who does know, and I've come to see that it is through the deepest sufferings that God has taught me the deepest lessons. Please hear this. And if we'll trust him for it, we can come through to the unshakable assurance that he is in charge. He has a loving purpose and he can transform something terrible into something wonderful. Suffering is never for nothing. You who are struggling with difficult children, special needs children, difficult marriages, difficult work situations, difficult health complications, difficult whatever it is. Suffering is never from nothing, but it, oh, we need the wisdom of God to see these things. It is the wisdom of God spoken to our heart that comes really with a personal relationship. He loves me. He cares for me. That it's, it's like flipping on a switch in a stadium where it was all dark and now everything you can see in a different way. It's still hard, but you see that God's hand is there. I say this all to assume, and I never want to assume this. These promises that God uses to those who are actually God's children only. But the good news is I can invite everybody to become God's child, and so can you. 
We become God's children by coming to realize that we are so bad that we need somebody apart from ourselves to save us. We need a savior. We have rebelled and gone our own way and we need somebody to rescue us. And the only rescuer is God who provided the rescue by sending his own son Jesus to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, in dying on the cross to pay for sins that I have committed and to forgive me and to bring me back into a relationship with God and actually give me all of the credit that Jesus has deserved given to me to bring me into a covenant that is closer and better than any marriage so that all of God's Jesus' righteousness and all his riches is on me and all my sins were cast on him on the cross and he now makes me God's child. God is my father and it changes everything everything. And if you're here, either watching or here, sitting in this room, and you have never had a saving relationship with him, where you have turned from them and accept my free gift by faith, trusting me and me alone, he enters into some unique covenant. He comes into your heart. His spirit changes you, and you become alive to him in a new way. He is your father. Jesus is your brother. He is your savior. And he is now your boss. And you say, and I want it. I wouldn't have any other way. He is the surpassing worth. Friends, we need to be equipped for being tested and tried because, oh, it's coming and it's here. And it begins by seeking God and wisdom. But the second thing we see is we need to pray earnestly to God I get one and two really are, are, are combined together because I've already been talking about praying to God. Seek him wisdom. How do you seek him? You seek him with prayer. You seek him in the word. But pray earnestly to God. See, see this passage, verse five? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. You're facing testing and you need wisdom, so cry out to God for wisdom. One of the most beautiful passages, Proverbs 3 Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, seek him, and he'll make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord. You see the promise in this past God and it will be given to you. James is echoing the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. This passage speaks so much about the beauty and the glory and the gift of prayer and especially praying for wisdom in the midst of trial. James would have us here in James 4, verse 2. You have not because you ask not. Friends, I've been a pastor for about 20 years now. And how often have I talked to someone going through a trial and I said, have you been praying and have you been seeking the Lord? And how often do I hear, not really. Oh, begin by getting on your knees and pray. Pray and seek the Lord. Ask him for wisdom that I've been talking about. Ask him for help and comfort and direction. Ask for wisdom and ask for help and ask for grace and ask for guidance and ask for protection. Ask for his name to be honored. Ask for endurance and ask for joy in the trial. Ask to be a light in the midst of your suffering. 
Ask to know God more and to grow in your relationship with him more because of your suffering. It is not selfish to pray for yourself, friends. That you could live your life without talking to God for yourself. You need him. I need him. Yes, we should pray for others. We should not only pray for ourselves. We should pray for our family. We should pray for our pray desperately for your pastor and pray for your congregation and pray for others. But oh, do you need to pray for yourself? Ask God for wisdom for you today. And you know this passage that says, ask. You have because you do not ask. It is a present verb. It has the idea of you keep on asking. God is you rarely going to say, oh, you asked one time, here it is. No, he gives us parable, parable story after story of how he wants us to pray without stopping, persisting. He wants us to be like sometimes my kids, can I have internet again? Can I have internet, Dad? Can I have internet, Dad? Can I have internet? Okay, you can. You finished your chores. You can do that. God wants us to constantly go to him, and if he doesn't say yes right away, or if we don't experience that wisdom or that grace or that help, he wants us to keep coming to him. I shared this last year. Andrew Murray says it this way. Just imagine the result would be if, the, if a Christian had only to kneel down and ask and get right away and go his own way. Just think of all the unspeakable loss to our spiritual life would happen if we just got it the first time. You see, God intends to grow us by saying, do you really want it? How much do you want it? How much do you want me? How much do you want my will and my way? Cry out to me with all your heart. Proverbs 2 gives us a picture of how we are to pray earnestly for God and for wisdom. We are to make, we are to go to him and call out for insight and raise our voice for understanding. And we are to seek it like silver and gold. God, I'm not going to let go until you help me. I'm going to keep asking you. This passage instructs tested and tried Christians that are battled with suffering. And he says, seek wisdom and seek to pray to God. The third thing I want you to see, he says, trust the character of God. Trust the character of God. Let me put wisdom together. Let me put praying together. And I want you to see this third thing because he's going to say, let him ask God, verse 5, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. He's talking to all Christians, immature Christians, growing Christians, toddlers and senior citizens, Jews and rich. God generously gives to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, friends. I think one of the most important things for us to grow up as Christians is to grow up to understand the character of God. And this third one is, oh, that God would help us to trust truly in the character of God. You know, you know what it means to trust in a person? Yeah, I know my dad won't let me down because I've known him for 45 years. He's got character, and when he says he'll do something, he's going to do it. Oh, I know that my dad told my. My wife said this, but I know she cares for my best interest. I know my parents, my, whoever it is, your friend. Do you trust in the character of God? This is what he says. Now ask in faith, knowing he gives generously. 
to all without reproach. You see his character here. He is a God who gives generously. You go to God, he is not sitting back with his hands folded saying, oh, so you're going to come pray to me now. Now you're going to start praying to me. Hmm. Hmm. Let's see. You've asked already so much. No, this word generously has the idea of single-mindedness. It is as though God, it is God's prayer and care for us. Oh, that's not his sole duty. He's infinite. He is all the time, everywhere, all over the world, caring for and loving and needing and orchestrating every drop of rain on its appointed target, including your needs. But he is generously, single-mindedly caring for you as though it was his sole duty. He is completely devoted to your care. That is amazing because you don't deserve it, neither do I. It's as though he has nothing else to do but to listen to you is what James would want us to hear. He is undivided in his heart to do his children good. And if he says, wait, or you don't hear, he doesn't, it sounds like he's not hearing you or he's not responding to you, it is only because it is best because there's something you have to gain through waiting. But you see, Jesus would have us learn it this way, ask and it shall be given to you. Because he says, because which father... If his son asked for bread, would he, would he give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask? A mark of spiritual maturity in our lives is when God so helps us to have the wisdom to understand to the depth of our hearts that we are going to a prayer-hearing God who loves me, and every time he says yes, he's saying yes for our good, and every time he says wait, it's for our good, and whenever he says no, it is for our good, but he is eager and willing to always, always, always do us good. It says he, he gives without reproach. This idea of without reproach is the idea of saying what we might do Hey, Dad, can I, can I have another $10? Son, I, I gave you $10 yesterday and the day before and the day before and the day before. It's getting kind of old. God never does that. He, he doesn't rebuke us when we come to him asking. He wants us to desperately come time after time. And he wants us to know, James put it this specifically, let him ask God who generously, single-mindedly, zealously gives to all who ask, and he does it without reproach. He's going to say in a few verses later, every good gift comes from above. It comes from the Father of light. There is no variation or shadow due to change. He is always for us. God is generous and eager to care for us, to give us wisdom. As John Newton has us sing, Come, my soul, thy suit prepare. Jesus loves to answer prayer. He himself has bid us pray. Therefore, will we not say nay? Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such. None can ever ask too much. James would have us all say, suffering, if you're suffering 
or being prepared to suffer, know firsthand the character of God. This is God who wants you to know his heart. All those who are tested and tried, let us seek wisdom and let's seek it in prayer and let us seek it by knowing the character of God. And lastly, let us, number four, surrender fully to the will of God. Now, we're gonna spend really quick through these last two verses, but look what he says here. But let him ask in faith, this is important, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea and is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. These last instructions, the warning, and he says to us, you don't want to pray without doubting. Uh, you want to, if you pray with a type of doubting, it'll prove that you're a double-minded person. Say The idea here in this verses is really convicting and should challenge each of us. Have you ever, you might be in a situation, you say, I sought wisdom and I, I sought for God's help and it didn't seem to come. Well, maybe you were asking him for, because you just wanted your own glory or your own comfort and you had not yet submitted and devoted yourself fully to God. And James would say, no, to the one who comes to me wholehearted, I'm wholehearted to them. I like how the New Living Translation translates this, verse six. Listen to this. When you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Don't, don't go to God and say, God, I want you to have wisdom, but I'm gonna, I have a lot of all plan B's and C's because I'm not sure you're gonna come through. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Their loyalty is divided because God, between God and the world. And the idea that James is bringing out, this word for doubting is not so much, God, I'm not sure if you're going to deliver me. We don't know if God's going to deliver me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, as they go to Nebuchadnezzar, or to the king, they don't say, I know God's going to deliver me. They said, I know God can deliver me. But even if he doesn't, I will not bow to you, the king, but I will trust in the Lord. This, not, this doubting isn't, God, I know what your outcome is. No, I know God is faithful. This doubting has to do with it, a dividedness of saying, I want God's way. I also want the world's way. God, I want to be kind of surrendered to you, kind of, but I also want my own comforts. God, I don't really want to grow in maturity. I just want to get out of this jam. God, I don't really want to glorify you. I want myself to be glorified, or I want the comforts of this world, not the comforts ultimately that comes from you. James would have us to be instructed to say, if you're tested and tried, test, test this out. Is your loyalty to him? Is your loyalty to him? Is God just a security blanket in your life? But maybe he's using the trials to cause you to forever now, once and for, now, for all, to surrender to him and say, oh God, take my divided heart. I love you and I want something else. I want the world and I want you and I want you to make my world better. God, I surrender and I want to live for you and whatever you bring, that will. and I surrender my kingship, my control to you. 
James is going to say it in another way in James 4. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. Because you want to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? God's jealous. He will not allow you as a Christian to say, I'm going to have a Christianity that's Jesus and. No, Jesus and my marriage. Jesus and my family. Jesus and these things. No, Jesus first. All of those other things are under the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes he's going to say, I'm going to remove idols. I'm going to bring suffering. I want your heart. Because when I have your heart, that is when you will experience my joy, my goodness, my grace. Surrender to me. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, James would say. Humble yourselves before the Lord in the midst of your trial. No one can serve two masters. Who will you serve? Oh, friends, we're not talking about perfection here, but we are. God is God and we are not. Oh, may we be equipped as the people of God. May we be equipped as we prepare for suffering and as we experience it today. Seek wisdom from God. Pray to God. Know, oh, know his heart. Know his character. Know God. He is generous and caring and loving. He will not leave you to yourself and surrender to him. His name is what your name is to be. Your will is to be swallowed up in his will. Father, I pray that you would help us as a people. I pray that you would help us as a church, whether watching this morning online or in person, to grow up as Christians. Oh God, our, our church needs it, our families need it. We each need it. The people we work with need us to be grown-up Christians. For that to happen, we need your wisdom and we need to learn to pray and we need to know your goodness and we need to be surrendered to you. But God, we pray this because we can't do any of those things in our own. We need you to do them. And God, would you please come and speak wisdom to us? For some this morning, I pray that you'd speak wisdom of faith. You'd give them faith. Give them trust in you for the first time. Give them conviction of sin and see that the wisest thing for them to do is to turn away from their sins and look to you alone. Equip young and old, Father, please, for the trials that would produce in us gold. Life, joy, in Jesus' name, amen.